Amen, amen. You may be seated. Tonight we're going to take communion to start the new year. Communion is an ordinance that Jesus Christ instituted for the New Testament church. It is a continuation and a fulfillment of what the Passover celebration was for the Jews of the Old Testament. And so we draw from the tradition of the Passover, except Jesus changed the ordinance and changed the meaning and the focus of the Passover. Today, Jewish families still celebrate the Passover. As a matter of fact, uh, I announced that we were going to be doing communion Sunday night and then realized on Monday morning that we don't have a Lifeway bookstore anymore in town. And uh, Brother Donnie, I can't get them little nice little cups I normally get. Just go out and get them. I have to order them. And I couldn't find anybody to ship them here with New Year's Day. So I, I was stuck trying to find communion bread, um, un, unleavened bread, and, and I found it in, in Kroger's, shipped over from Israel, Passover approved. So that means that it is uh, suitable for what we're doing tonight. Amen? Now, whenever the Jews get together and they celebrate the Passover, there is a traditional question that is asked, and it's kind of a ceremony. You do ceremonies at your house at different. We have we have kind of a tradition at Christmas time before we open gifts. We sit down in our family living room, and our family gets together, and we take the Bible, and we read the second chapter of Luke, and and we actually usually start. I did this year starting more up in the, about the middle of the first chapter, and read all the way through most of the second chapter of Luke, and and we tell the Christmas story, and then we have prayer together, and we thank the Lord because the most precious gift we're ever going to receive is the gift that He's given us. Amen. That and, and if Christmas ever becomes about the material things that are under the tree, or the gifts that we give one another, then we've missed the meaning of Christmas. And so we do that tradition to help us to remember, and we've done it since the kids were just little bitty, amen, because we want them to know this isn't about a, a, a beardy guy in a red suit, amen. This is about Jesus Christ. And this is, a, yeah, Zach come out just a minute ago as I was saying that, and he's got a red jacket on and a beard. <laughs> it isn't about Zach, yeah, it's about Jesus, Amen. And so we, we, we share that with our kids. Well, the Jews do similar type things with the Passover. And whenever the Passover celebration begins in a Jewish home, there is a tradition, a ritual that takes place. The youngest child in the home asks a question. And the question is this. Why is this night any different from any other night? The father answers the question, and the way he answers the question is by telling the story of the Passover, telling the story of the exodus from Egypt, telling about how we were slaves in Egyptian bondage, and we cried out to God, and God Almighty heard our cry, and he sent a deliverer. He sent Moses to stand in Pharaoh's court and demand, let my people go. But Pharaoh resisted him. As a matter of fact, he doubled the labor. It became worse for us, not better. But over time, the different uh, judgments of God were poured out upon Egypt. And God moved in such a way that Pharaoh had to let us go. And on the night that that final 
prophecy, that final plague was unveiled. We were told to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and slay that lamb and place that blood upon the doorposts and lintels of our home. And, and there was a commandment given that you, you're to, you're to not, that night you don't go to bed, amen? That night you dress yourself, you get ready for a trip, amen? You gather your family together, you slay the lamb, you put the blood on the doorpost and the lintels, and you eat the lamb, the whole lamb. If your family wasn't big enough to eat a lamb, then two families came together and ate a lamb. But you ate the whole lamb. And then you waited. The, the, the stipulation for Moses was the father has a staff in his hand. That means he's ready to travel. That's always been the posture of the church. Amen. We're ready. We're here. We're in this world. We're going to make the most of where we are. But, honey, we're listening for the sound of a trumpet that's going to sound one of these days. We're not here to stay. Amen. Our posture is and always has been ready for the sound, ready for the trumpet, ready for to leave this world behind. And so they stood there in their home with the staff ready to go. The father would tell that story to the child. He does it every year in every Jewish home that practices the Passover. It's a story of why they do what they do. It's a story of why they live the way they live. It's a story that tells them why they are different from other people in the world. Why it is that being a Hebrew is, is different. Why it is that it's special. Why it is that that matters. It's a story of why they are who they are. It's the story of their identity. It's a story that gives meaning to their lives. It's a story that compels them forward into another year. It's a story that gives them some semblance of understanding and, 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 and knowledge of why I am here and what I am here for. But what I find interesting in that is that the father really doesn't answer the question. He doesn't tell what makes this night different from any other night. In truth, the question he answers is what makes the Hebrews different than any other people. He doesn't tell why this night is special as much as he tells why is it special to be the people of God? Because the Hebrews are what makes that night special. Amen? It's what makes the difference. And so tonight, on the first night of a brand new year, I find myself pondering that question. Not the question of what makes this night different. We don't often take communion on Wednesday night. Not the, the question of what makes this night different than all the rest. But the more important question, the question the Hebrew father answers. What makes us different from all the rest? What makes us who we are? And, and and all I got to do is go to scripture and affirm the fact we are different. Amen. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. Peter affirms the fact that we're different and tells us why we're different. You can probably quote it. I know I can. It says, but you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That means different folks. Amen. 
that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's why I'm different. Amen? Once I was a slave, once I was in bondage to sin, once my flesh ruled me, but the blood of Jesus Christ, that only spotless lamb, it liberated me. He set me free from sin. Uh, amen. He filled me with his spirit. He separated me unto him. He sanctified me. It means set me apart for his use. Amen. I'm not like anybody else. He didn't save me from bondage so I could go live in bondage. He didn't deliver me from Egypt so I could go back to Egypt. He delivered me to be different. Never in the history of the people of God have the people of God, the people who belong to God and God only, blended into the world around them. They've always been different. That's the story that the Hebrew father tells on the Passover. We are different because we belong to him. Amen. When they arrived at that mountain where the law would be given unto them before God began to tell them, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that and thou shalt not go here and thou shalt not go there and thou shalt not wear this and thou shalt not wear that. Before God did any of that, he first said, you were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out. I have the right to tell you how you live because you belong to me. What Passover does and what the communion does for you and I is it reminds us and the Hebrews of where we come from and who the Lord of our life really is. Can I get an amen? amen. And so tonight, as we look at a new year, as we contemplate who we are and where we are and where we're going as a church, I want to I remind you of what it's all about. Tonight is about affirming the difference, the difference between us and the world, the difference in between us and, and, and anybody else out there. Amen. You've been filled with the Spirit. You've been washed in the blood. You've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's an origin story there that defines your life. Amen. At the end of the day, my life is not my own. I belong to Jesus. He bought me with his precious blood. He owns me, body, soul, and spirit. Amen. I am his and only his, and I am compelled to live my life in a way that glorifies him. Amen. Amen. Communion reminds us that we have not saved ourselves, that we could not save ourselves, that left to our own devices, left to live however we think is right to live, left to do what we think is good to do, we always end up in the bondage of sin. That's where flesh takes us every single time. We find ourselves captive to fruitless desires that rob us of the joy and peace that God has given us. Communion reminds us that our best intentions always go terribly wrong, that our flesh always leads us into, into bondage to sin. Communion reminds us of who we are, 
and who we are supposed to be. We are, my friend, the church. We are his church. And we need to be constantly reminded of that. I am the church. Every year, it started out around my birthday and somehow it's drifted into December. There was a year there where I put it off as far as I could. But every year in December, I go to the eye doctor. The process always amazes me. The doctor has me, Brother Donnie, take my glasses off. I sit behind that device. And, and with blurry vision, I begin to read the chart. And, and it's obvious there are some things I can't see very clearly. And then slowly but methodically, the doctor begins to cleanse, to, to click through those various lens combinations and this changes and that changes and and as it goes brother jimmy my vision steadily gets sharper it gets better it's better now than it was then but it's not quite where it needs to be and another click and it changes again how many know what i'm describing it happens every year i sit there and i go through that whole process and my vision steadily changes and then slowly the doctor focuses my eyes and focuses my vision it's not a swift and sudden change it's not like i sit down in the chair and the doctor examines me and goes you know i think these glasses will work and puts them on me I sit there and that changes slowly. Does this look better or this? Is is A better or B? Is one better or two? Is and then is three better or four? And then you pick between them. And, and slowly, they one eye and then the other, and then the both eyes together. And it, over the process of that methodical change, every click moves me closer and closer to seeing things the way I'm supposed to see them. This year, I feel like the Lord wants to challenge us as a church to answer that important question. What makes us different? What makes us who we are? What does that mean to us? Why does that matter? This year, I'm embracing again the same thing that we used last year. I've said before, I feel like that we had a, a, a better response and a better sense of of cohesion around this theme than we have any other theme we've ever used. I don't know if I'll ever use another theme. But I want to tell you that I am the church is more than just a slogan. It's more than just a catchy phrase. It's more than just a neat little thing to put on T-shirts or on glasses or license plates or if you want any of that stuff, see Sister Tiffany. Amen. It's our identity. It's our story. It is the story of who we are. It is the story of where we come from. It is the story of what makes us different. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was wrapped up in sin's bondage, and it was tearing my life apart and tearing my home apart and tearing my family apart. But Jesus stepped in, and he changed me. And when he changed me, he changed everything about me. There's a constant drift of my flesh that wants to go back. But I have to keep reminding myself, I am not who I used to be. I am not what I used to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not who I will be. But I am who I am in Christ Jesus. And I'm growing not back, but I'm growing towards perfection. That's what the Bible said. We're striving for perfection. 
I'm not there yet. You're not there yet, but I'm going that direction. Amen? Not who I used to be. Not who I'm going to be. Amen. But I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful for what he's done in my life. I am who I am in Jesus Christ. It's more than a slogan. It's the very meaning of who we are. We are the church. I am the church. You are the church. And I want you to ask yourself, what what does that look like in the 21st century? We entered a new decade last night. Brother John, I've heard several call this decade by the name that was given to the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties. You've heard that? If that's the case, if we're truly entering a decade of great growth, prophetic revival, prosperity, and blessings, then we need to establish here and now at the outset of this year who we are because who we are is what makes us different, and we are the church. I'm not like everybody else in the world. I don't look like them. I don't act like them. I don't talk like them. I don't go places they go. I don't dress like they dress. I don't do the things they do. I don't say the words they say. Why? Because I am the church. We need to establish that unmovable foundation in our lives because that's the thing that informs us. That's the thing that guides us. And that's the thing that will direct us into the plan and purpose that God has for us in this year and this decade and all the years that are to come. Amen? So I'm going to focus this year on four cornerstones of our identity. There are four things that that help identify us as who we are, and there are four things that will never change. Sometimes the way we do church will change. Sometimes the style of music we play will change. Sometimes the time we have service will change. Amen? These things all shift. Last month it was every other Sunday was different. But these things all change. There are some things that will never change no matter what the year is, no matter what decade we're in, no matter what humanity is doing, no matter what society is doing, no matter what the Supreme Court says, no matter who's president, there are some things that simply will not change. First of all, our doctrine. Secondly, our worship. Third, our lifestyle. Holiness will not change. And fourth, our mission. Those are cornerstones. A cornerstone is that established mark from which everything else is measured. As we answer the question of what does an apostolic church look like in the Roaring Twenties, we will measure the boundaries of the church from those unmovable, absolute truths. Our doctrine doesn't change. Who we are in worship doesn't change. Our lifestyle of holiness doesn't change. And our mission does not change. This year will be all about affirming our doctrine. We'll not do it in the same ways we've done it in the years past. I'm not going to have a different theme every month because I feel like these are themes that need to be revisited 
all year long. Not just a single month, but over and over and over again. We're going to measure ourselves against the doctrine of the apostolic church of the book of Acts. Amen. We're not measuring ourselves against the church down the street. We're not measuring ourselves against somebody else's idea. We're measuring ourselves against the word of God, against the book of Acts. Whatever kind of church there was in the book of Acts, that's the kind of church we're supposed to be. Amen. Whatever kind of revival they had, that's the kind of revival we're supposed to have. Whatever power they had. That's the kind of power we're supposed to have. Amen. Whatever they were, that is what we are supposed to be. And every sense of what that means, we are apostolic. Amen. So we'll visit those foundations over and over and over again, and we'll strengthen them in our lives. We'll strengthen them in our hearts. We'll strengthen them in our memory. We'll reinforce that this is who we are. This is what makes us different. We're not like the church. They sing the same songs we sing. They, they, they do the same order of service we do. Their platforms look the same or maybe even better. Amen. They may even dance a jig better than you do. But what makes us different is we're apostolic. We're Holy Ghost filled. We're bought and baptized by the name of Jesus Christ, and we belong to him. Amen. We are the church. This year, we'll focus again all year long on what it truly means to be an apostolic worshiper. We will measure ourselves against the worship of Scripture. Not just that which is done in word only, but that which is done in spirit and in truth. Amen. We're going to talk about the fact that worship is not is more than just what I do in here on a Sunday. It's more than just a few moments before the preacher preaches on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Amen. Worship is that that flows from a revelation of spirit and truth. It's that that flows from, from the walk that I have with God, and it permeates every facet of my life. I'm a worshiper. When I'm at work, I'm a worshiper. Amen. When I'm off work, I'm a worshiper. When I'm on vacation, I'm a worshiper. Wherever I am, I am his, and I worship him. Amen. We're going to have, we, we already have a great spirit of worship in our church services. Worship is what will draw folks to the presence of God, his goodness. His power, His mercy. People come through the doors and they feel something when you and I worship. That's part of the distinctive. We are an experiential church. Amen. It's all about the experience. My, my pastor, when I was a kid, the business cards and the different ads the church ran all had the same tagline, experience the difference. Why? Because when people come to an apostolic church, they expect to experience something they can't experience anywhere else. That starts with a worship. Amen. A major focus this year will be the reaffirmation of what it means to be apostolic in lifestyle. Once again, we will measure ourselves against the Word of God. We'll strive to focus our vision on what it truly means to live holy lives and what it means to be separated from this world, to be in it, but not of it. Amen? I, it's gonna be, I, I'm going to talk from the Bible. It's going to be more than just a set of rules.
in a rule book somewhere. Why? Because as long as you view holiness as a set of rules and a rule book, you'll always fall short. It's not about rules. It's about principles. It's about the heart. It's about everything that flows out of the heart. Amen. It's about principles that are founded on the word of God. Principles that quantify what it means to possess holiness in your attitudes, holiness in modesty, holiness in gender distinction, holiness in our entertainment, holiness in our work ethic, holiness in how we treat others, holiness in how we live every single day of our lives. Amen? It is possible to be apostolic, to be practical, and to be holy. Amen? That's an area that I haven't focused as much on probably as I need to as a pastor. But this year we're going to visit that over and over again. It's going to be one of our major focuses. We're going to return to that cornerstone, and we're going to measure ourselves by what does the Word of God say? Why do we do what we do? What makes this night different? It's who we are. That's what makes it different. It's who we are. We are His, and we belong to Him. And the same one that said to Israel, you were slaves in Egypt, and I brought you out. Now I'm going to tell you how you must live. That same one, he's still Lord in my life. I was a slave to sin. He brought me out, and he has the right to govern my life. Amen? Most of all, this year is about focusing on our mission as a church. Our mission is not just to make it to heaven. Our mission is not just to have a huge revival. Our mission is not just to build a bigger or better church. Our mission is to reach the lost. And if we fail in that mission, then we've missed everything that really matters about what it means to be the church. Amen? One lost soul that makes it home is more important than every function and every event and everything that we do as a church. That's our focus. Jesus left the 99 to go find the one that was lost. Or he told the story of the shepherd who left the 99 to go find the one that was lost. Think about that for a minute. Surely, among the 99 people in your life, your acquaintances, that you're personally in touch with on a day-to-day basis, surely there's one who's lost, who's wounded, who's hurting, who's desperate, who's all alone, and is looking for somebody to come find them. God is calling you. God is calling me. God is calling us as a church to recognize that that person, that single lost soul, above everything else, that is your mission. That is why you're in church. You're not here just to teach a Sunday school class. You're not here just to play a musical instrument. You're not here just to fulfill whatever role you fulfill in the church. You're here to reach the lost. That's why we're here. We're a church on a mission. We're a church with a mission. And without that mission, we've missed the point of what it means to be the church. Amen? 
So tonight we take communion, and I want you to personally ponder the meaning of that question. What does it mean to me to be the church? What makes this night different? What makes this ceremony different? What makes me different? First of all, let's turn to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye to show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Brother Dino, put that last next scripture up there. It says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many are asleep. Paul warns us. And if we're going to take the Lord's Supper, we do it with reverence. We do it with respect. We should never take it unworthily. This is something that you hear me say every time we take communion, but it's something that bears reinforcing because this is what it's all about. Unworthily, back up to verse 29, right there. Unworthily, it's the second word on the second line. Ends in an L-Y. That means it's an adverb. Unworthy is an adjective. Unworthy means without merit or value, worthless or not deserving. Unworthily, however, describes an action. It's an adverb. It means irreverent or in an unworthy manner. Unworthy is a condition. Unworthily is an attitude, and the two are entirely different words. If it said you can't take communion if you're unworthy, then none of us could take communion. Amen? But what it says is you can't take communion or you should not. You, You take the obvious risk of bringing upon yourself, he said, sickness and death. That's what it says when many sleep. If you do it in a casual or uh, irreverent or unworthy manner, that's what unworthily means. That means we take this seriously. We want to do it in the right spirit. We want to do it with the right attitude. We want to do it in the, in the right way. We want to be sure that we've made ourselves right, that we've considered our lives, that we've truly considered the story of who we are and what that means. And when we take the blood of Jesus into our heart and into our life, that we have considered that body that was broken and what that means. An unworthy person 
can take communion as long as they take it worthily. I want to be. I want to take it in that manner. I want to be reverent. I want to be respectful. So stand with me. Paul says, "Let a man examine himself." Self-examination is a must. It's something you have to do. You have to find a place of prayer. You have to bend your knees. You have to turn your heart towards heaven, and you have to pray, Lord, cover me. Our heart should be free of condemnation. It should be free of guilt. It should be free of sin before we take communion. Does that mean you have to be perfect? No. If that's what it meant, none of us could take communion. But what it does mean is that you spend time in prayer and repentance. And if you're unwilling to repent, you don't take communion. It's your call, not mine. Does that make sense? You ensure that the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life because what you do not want to do is take communion with unrepented sin in your life. The apostle has warned us there is a grave danger that exists there. So each and every one of us needs to take a moment in the time of repentance, and I'm going to ask you to find a place of prayer wherever you're comfortable. You know, this is repentance prayer. You may want to go get in the furthest corner where nobody can hear you. Amen. Whatever you need to do, I'm asking you to find a place of prayer and bend your knee for a few moments, and let's search our heart, and let's ask the Lord to wash us again. Now, repentance doesn't take all night. And God doesn't take all day to forgive you. But there needs to be a season and a space of time where we bend our knees in the presence of God and we repent. 